0: the doctor. Ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores. scores! He scores! At the buzzer, and the Nets win 120-118. to 118. I think we see Willis coming out.
1: Here comes Willis, and the ball is going wild. The New York pick have won the 1969-70 world trapping of
2: basketball. Carter, over to Kidd. Baseline drive.
1: Kidd throws it up. Oh! Drive stripped by Butler. Randall gets it back. Randall puts up a three.
0: Bang!
1: Bang! Randall knocks down the three with seven tenths of a second remaining.
0: With full court press coverage on all of the signings, trades, big games, and everything Knicks, Nets, and across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome into Pick and Pod. I'm Chris Percian and here in the WFUV studios in the Bronx alongside Colin Lochran and Danny Scott. Guys, how we doing? Chris, I'm doing great today.
2: Obviously, a lot happening across the association, getting very close to that magical time known as playoff time. The Knicks and Nets trying their damnedest to get into the dance. We'll see what they have in store for us. Celtics and Danny, your Kings, both of those teams still in the hunt, very much so. Going to be a blast today, guys.
1: Yeah, let's go, boys. Light the beam. Um, I'm making my Pick and Pod debut here today, so I can't be more excited. I, I've i never really wanted to be on it because my Kings have been so bad for uh, my entire life, but finally snapping that 16-year streak, getting into the dance. Um, just overall really excited, excited to talk some hoops.
0: Yeah, that team is the best story in the nba this season um i i I hesitated there for a second i had to think do i really believe that that was a quick confirmation from (laughs) that corner of the office in my brain the hr guy said yeah you're good go ahead get get that take out there so um yeah that is the best story in the nba this season uh something about purple this year you know keontae johnson kansas state and now we got the sacramento kings you know some, some purple teams doing well this year However, we've got to start out some good old orange and blue. The New York Knickerbockers beat the Houston Rockets. They took care of business as expected, but something happened in that game that made headlines. Emmanuel Quickly, career high of 40 points, and most impressive to me was the one turnover in comparison to his nine assists. So no double-double for Quickly there, but close enough. And with the 40 points, you know, you'll take that from a young player who went from barely being in Tom Thibodeau's rotation to being one of the essential starters on the team. He's the sixth starter. He closes more often than Quentin Grimes. So even though he doesn't start games, he closes them. And Tom Thibodeau will be the first to tell you that closing is more important than starting. So quickly, really one of the six starters for the Knicks. They call him their sixth starter. And he's really started to shine as a young star. What do you guys make of him? Do you see him being a legitimate... Shot creator in the playoffs, or is this a nice success story in the regular season that, once the game slows down, the court shrinks, might lose a little bit of its luster? Well, now with Randall
2: being out for a little while, and then quickly he's going to get even more room to grow. And Chris, what impressed me most about the forty-point piece that he had the other night—fourteen of eighteen from the field, five of seven from three-point land—that's very, very efficient for a Knicks team that's twenty-second in terms of field goal percentage. Having a guy like Quickly now come into his own, he's a young player, he can score at all three levels, I think the mid-range is there, that's going to continue to develop, is going to be critical, because if you're down a man now with Randall, Barrett is suspect some days, other days he's great, but the majority of the time now, I'd characterize him as suspect, we can debate that till the cows come home if you want, but Quickly and Grimes combined are going to have to have some big offensive nights to keep the Knicks kind of in that four to five range keep them slipping down to the six god forbid because you want to be in that four or five range you want to be playing cleveland you don't want to have to deal with philly or boston if you don't have to play cleveland first round you got a good chance randall will be back by then quickly now kind of coming into his own realizing his full potential perfect for this team at this given time it's just going to be a matter of how long leash is Thibodeau going to give him because for as much as we love the efficiency now He is still a young player. It's not a guarantee he's going to give you that every night. Can he give it to you most nights? I think we're getting to that point now where you know what you're getting with Emmanuel quickly. I just look at this year, the on and off difference. He's in the 87th percentile, according to Cleaning the Glass. That means he's improving. Last year was at 96th percentile, but didn't play quite as much. The fact that that number has stayed somewhat consistent now and is at 87% across league, very effective in my mind, something to be looked forward to as he continues to grow. He's going to be a big piece of
0: this final push. Speaking of stats on cleaning the glass, Emmanuel Quickly, I just happen to know this one, 99th percentile in the league in the field goal percentage of opponents.
2: Defense is there on the perimeter.
0: That is more than there. It's a real skill of his. Danny, I want to give you the opportunity to speak on Quickly, but also, or maybe or, Quentin Grimes, who speaking of combining with Grimes offensively, well, those two had 23 points each against the Miami Heat, combining for 46 and bringing the Knicks the big win at home. That's the second straight now for New York. Rebuilding streaks. This is a team of streaks. Had an eight-game win streak earlier in the year. Followed it up immediately after with a five-game losing streak. Nine-game win streak, three- or four-game losing streak. There is ups and downs in this Knicks season, but Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes, the two young 25th overall picks, have almost been the constants of this year from the young core of New York as opposed to someone like R.J. Barrett with the higher draft stock. What have you made of Quickly and Grimes this year? How do you think they'll impact the team in the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I I think when you add Barrett in there even as well, you have three very good guards, probably more combo guards than um, point guards, but all three of them can get buckets at any night. So really, if you're the Knicks, you just need one of them on that night and to get production out of Randall. Um so I think Quickly has really kind of blossomed these last few games uh dropping 40 against the Rockets and 23 against the Heat so I think he's a guy right now you got to ride the hot hand um but Grimes is also doing really well he put up 24 against the Heat I believe it was and then you kind of really never know what you're going to get from RJ you could get 90 out of him or you could get 2 um so it really just depends how he feels that night but going down this final stretch Quickly with the hot hand, I think you got to ride it out as long as you can.
0: Yeah, Barrett has had very efficient forty-four point games against Chicago, efficient forty-point game against Miami, but he came out against Miami the other day and started zero of eight from the floor, and then turned it around in the second half. Ended up finishing something like three of thirteen, you know what? Whatever, but the assists came in the fourth quarter. It felt like he was reading the game differently. The total stat sheet didn't look great, but he was reading the game differently. Now, Barrett, be very important as Colin mentioned. Team's going to be missing Julius Randall and that's what we got to talk about and Colin, I want to go to you first on Randall left ankle sprain, out for at least 2 weeks. Now, what starts in 2 weeks? The NBA playoffs. It's looking like if not just the first game, Randall might miss the first two games that are very strongly and have very strongly looking, been looking like they're going to be in Cleveland. I'm going to ask this one simply to you two guys. Can the Knicks survive the first round against the Cleveland Cavaliers if Julius Randle misses the first two games in Cleveland?
2: I will say yes with a major caveat. Yes, but it will be very hard to do so. If they have Randle, I feel much more comfortable about the Knicks against the Cavaliers, potentially, that's what we're looking at, because, Chris, as you know, we've hosted Pick and Pod, Lord only knows how many times over the course of this season. I am a Julius Randle defender today, tomorrow, whenever you want it, I will defend this man. He averages a double-double currently, 25.1 points, 10.0 rebounds, 4.1 assists as well. Knicks fans, very quick to give him all types of flack, but you'll miss him when he's gone. There is no doubt in my mind that the average Knicks fan will miss Julius Randle when he's gone. Now, the reason I give them some credit and say you can still make a run at winning a playoff series without him is because Jalen Brunson will be there. As long as you have the driver of the train, it doesn't really matter who else is there as long as he's being efficient. Now, as I said, Randall, points-wise, is your your top dog, pretty much. That means Brunson's going to have to be extremely efficient on his own accord, shooting the ball, as well as distributing. So, I trust Brunson, is. I guess is the point I'm trying to get across, that he'll be able to kind of multitask there and find the open man while still creating his own shots. It will just be a lot harder because even from a physical standpoint, you're missing a guy then that gives guys like Quickly or Grimes more space to work with without Randall this. So, And I don't trust Mitch to do that on the offensive end of the floor yet. Right. I think he can grow into that, but the Knicks don't really have time to grow because the playoffs, as you mentioned, are two weeks away. Like, we're past the point of growing within two weeks. If Randall's there, I feel much better about that first series. Without him, though, it's going to take Brunson to step up, do a little bit of both there, and even a guy like Grimes to do a little bit more than what he's been doing this year, which has already been phenomenal. I just want to see more volume. I think he gets the ultimate green light at that point. Josh Hart, too, will have a spotlight on him coming off the bench. He might even start a few games here and there and be asked to score more than he already has.
1: Yeah, I'm going to um, probably piss both of you guys off a little bit, but... I don't know if the Knicks can beat the Cavs with Julius Randle, um, to be completely honest. Donovan Mitchell has been so good this season, averaging almost 28 points per game. And then you got uh, a two-headed monster down below on Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who are averaging combined almost three blocks a game. Um, So without Randle, you're asking Obi Toppin to come in and and eat a chunk of those minutes. And a lot of the more offensive role will fall on uh, Mitchell Robinson, like you mentioned, Colin, and I don't think he's there yet. So without Randall, I, I would say absolutely not. With Randall, I say it's still a very, very tough series uh, for the Knicks to win. I I'll add this
2: just quickly. if I understand what you're saying about the two-headed monster, down low for Cleveland, Mobley, Allen. Of course, those guys are great. But if you're able, Thibodeau and company, to take the ball out of Mitchell's hands, who is that guy that's really going to beat you on the offensive end of the court? Because this year, perhaps more than any other, to me, has been a sign of the league changing even more so. It's now all about the offense. And it always was, but now it's harder to grind out games and win defensively. Now you got to have guys that can hit shots from everywhere. And if you're able to get Mitchell neutralized, you're going to have a good chance to beat the Cavaliers. To me, that's the one guy that really scares you. I don't look at anyone else on their roster and see them putting up. Even Garland? Garland's no, averaging almost not 22. To the ex- not to the extent of Mitchell. Because remember last year, the Nets played the Cavs in the play-in tournament, and Garland was, you know, okay. But he wasn't a commanding force. Garland, to me, is someone that he's got nice handles, can shoot the ball a little bit, but it's, it's not the same thing as when Mitchell's going off or if a guy like Durant is going off or even Randall for that matter, because there's moments when Randall looks unbeatable out there. So if the Knicks are unable to stop Mitchell, of course, then I would agree with you, the Cavaliers are looking pretty good. But if you're able to neutralize him, if you're able to get the ball out of his hand, I think
0: the Knicks have enough offensively, even without Randall, to compete. Yeah, well, you guys make some great points. I would say that I can't see Mitchell Robinson getting any extent of the offensive responsibility. That's not how the Knicks run their offense. If you notice, even someone like Isaiah Hartenstein, who had a 20% assist rate last year, now this year in his best month of the season in assist rate is at 12. Right. So the Knicks centers don't do a lot of work with the ball in their hands. Who will get touches with Randall out? It's going to be R.J. Barrett and Josh Hart out there at the 3 and the 4 to close games. You're going to see Brunson quickly, Grimes closing games at the 1 and the 2. Now, Thibodeau closed with quickly and Grimes over Brunson in the Miami game. You can say Brunson needed to rest the hand that had sidelined him for a couple games, but the fact of the matter is that Tom Thibodeau, the coach known worldwide for depending on veterans, benched Jalen Brunson for the closing stretch of a game. He didn't make a single substitution in the entire fourth quarter. Not one, I did the whole like the 12 choice. minutes. He let those guys close the game out and win the game for the New York Knicks. Emmanuel quickly, 38 points against the Boston Celtics, 40 against the Houston Rockets, and taking care of business with the high efficiency against a poor team. Coming out against Miami, running the show again with Brunson, you know, hurt, sidelined, benched more often, even if he's playing, just not having a great game. Listen, Cleveland's bigs are great, but the fact of the matter is that Cleveland is 25th in the NBA in rebounds per game. New York is 4th. Now, there's more context to rebounding stats than just how many rebounds do you get a game. Now, maybe the Knicks allow a lot of three-pointers and because teams get those three-pointers, they miss more shots than they would usually at the rim and the Knicks get a lot of rebounds, right? So, there are context, but the Knicks don't allow a lot of three-pointers. They have a low opponent three-point percentage and and it's that forces teams to take Fewer three pointers. The Knicks, if you sort on NBA stats, contested rebounds per game are second in the league at 16.2 rebounds per game, being heavily contested or drawing a contested rating from the NBA stats website. So, if you ask me, the Knicks' presence in the interior is Mitchell Robinson. It's the physicality of Julius Randle, but guys like Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, these are all guys whose games are predicated on strength. Nobody is thinking, oh, I have to guard Brunson tonight. That's an easy assignment. Because he's so short, he's been forced to become a master of footwork, a master of his handle, a master of his craft. He can create opportunities and space for himself when it seems like there are none available on the court. When defenses are closing in on him, he can find a shooter weak side. He makes the right reads. He can score the ball. And and Thibodeau has praised his ability to be versatile, score when the team needs it, playmake when the team needs it if someone else is hot. And I think what Brunson brings to the table is that even-keeled steadiness that has helped someone like Julius Randle, who had temperamental issues last season off the court, sometimes on the court, um, you know, but all in the game environment when I say off the court, meaning in timeouts. Um, Brunson is just that even keeled steady surgeon like hand for the Knicks and he's done so much I think to highlight just how bad some of these Knicks point guards have been in years past you know because the difference is so stark Jalen Brunson got signed and everyone made fun of the Knicks for giving him the first six-figure deal of a non-all-star someone who had never made an all-star game got a six-figure deal for the first time in history a lot of people called it the Knicks being the Knicks I came on pick and pod and argued that it was just inflation running its course. But uh, regardless, that signing got talked about in a very negative light. And you're at the point where someone like Tim Legler, one of the best basketball minds out there, came out recently talking to J.J. Reddick. And he's like, I need to get this out the way and say this. I have never been more wrong about anyone in my career in evaluating basketball talent than Jalen Brunson. He is an absolute all-star. He's a stud. I think that's why he didn't make the game this year. Team's coaches waiting to see if he really was this level of player but as someone who's had the pleasure of being a Knicks beat reporter every coach pregame attests to Brunson's winning qualities they talk about Team USA they talk about Villanova they talk about what he did in Dallas next to Luka they talk about what he's done in New York having his own team or sharing a team with Julius Randle as opposed to being the number two I think the Knicks are a tough physical rebounding ground and pound team that are built For these Eastern Conference playoffs, teams like Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, Cleveland, I'm not saying the Knicks can beat every single one of those teams. I'm saying if there is a team out there that you don't want to see in the first round, it's probably the Knicks because of how pesky and annoying they are on defense, on rebounding, on getting steals, all of the above. And to your point on
2: Brunson being a winner and a professional. Thibodeau not trusting him defensively the other night because that's what that was. Even if he wanted to give him some time to rest the hand and kind of you know take, take a beat. That's an example of Thibodeau going for the matchup and knowing kind of how to go about executing his game plan. Leaving quickly, leaving hard in there is the smart choice to make when you're going up against a team like Miami that wants to kill you on the perimeter. That is the name of their offensive game right now. Now it's not working for them. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA at the moment. Which is surprising considering last year they're one of the best. But that's the type of thing I'm going to be looking for as this keeps on going is can Thibodeau create matchups defensively that help the Knicks then get the ball back, put them in advantageous positions offensively to then go on small runs? Brunson is a critical part of that offensively. Defensively, he's going to have to take a back seat. Definitely going to happen at some point. I think the combination of Quickly and Hart are, um, you know, they're, they're the type of guys that swarm. On that perimeter, it's going to be crucial as we go forward. But can't say enough good things about Brunson and what he brings to the table.
1: Yeah, Brunson is, is no doubt a, a fantastic basketball player, and and should have been an All Star one hundred um, percent. He snuck into the game, right? He was a replacement. Not, no, not
0: he. Was, uh, Jimmy Butler, I think, was a replacement, and then I know De'Aaron Fox and Anthony Edwards made it as replacements yeah. in the
1: West. Um, but definitely should have been an All Star. My issue with this Knicks team um, falls if they're without Randall. They don't have that superstar. And even with Randall, I, I would put Randall in probably the top, I don't know, 30 players in the NBA. But when you get to playoffs, you need that one guy that everyone looks to a Giannis, a Joel Embiid, a Jason Tatum. Guys that have the ability to just take over an entire game. And sure. We've seen guys like Quickly do it. We've seen Brunson do it. Uh, Guys have put up crazy, crazy games. But once you get into the playoffs, you have to have that automatic bucket. And I'm not sure if Brunson's that guy once you get deep into a playoff run. I
0: I think that that is a very measured way of analyzing the Knicks, not trying to buy into the big market hype, but also not trying to underrate them just because they're the Knicks and have had that air around them. I will say that Jalen Brunson did play Donovan Mitchell in the first round last year. Donovan Mitchell had a little help defending at the rim in Rudy Gobert.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: And Jalen Brunson, in Luka Doncic's absence, gave them 46 points in a playoff game. This guy has done this before. I think the Eastern Conference is the tougher of the two. Now, he, ma- he, made a, sure. he made a Western Conference Finals run you can argue that the, the Mavericks shouldn't have made that run or, how, you know, their season this year shows that they were never that good. I think that series is what got him $104 million. And that is going to have to be the Jalen Brunson we see this year. Now, Danny, I want to start with you here, go cross town. We're going to take that four all the way down to the Barclays Center like we did four the A 10 tournament there to support our Fordham Rams men's basketball team. But gonna take the four train this time to go see the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about them. They are sitting in sixth place, right behind the fifth place Knicks in the Eastern Conference. Pretty funny that those two squads are at five and six at this point of the season. Brooklyn forty-one and thirty-five on the year. Obviously a much different team than what they started the season with, but they're four and six in their last ten little bit of a skid I don't think the world is ending I really just want to know Danny you think this Brooklyn Nets team can make a first round series competitive right now they're playing Philadelphia how do you see that going
1: I think the Sixers sweep them if I'm being completely honest with Harden with Embiid uh the uh, I'll go back to my previous point about the Knicks but even more so with the Nets if Mikel Bridges is your one one guy I don't see how you compete in the playoffs All these teams that historically do very well in the playoffs have a top 10 player uh, in the NBA that just can take over games. And I don't see a scenario where you're going up against the Sixers, the Celtics, or the Bucks, which will be most likely um, for them. I don't see a scenario where they come out with a series victory, let alone a a victory in any single game.
2: I'm going to respectfully disagree. Because I'm a believer in Mikhail Bridges. I don't think we've seen this guy's full potential yet.
1: No, he's good, but I don't think... Once you get into the playoffs, you're facing these top three teams right now that have playoff experience. Celtics in the finals last year. Bucks won the finals a couple years ago. Sixers have, with Embiid, what, they've made seven straight playoff?
2: Something like that. They've been around the Sixers. That's why I'm kind of hesitant to write Brooklyn off on top of basically everything I like about Mikael Bridges. He's averaging almost 10 whole more points per game than he did as a member of the Suns. His effective field goal percentage is up almost 5%. I look at his game, and he reminds me of Jimmy Butler in how he plays. Now, it's not the same physicality. It's not the same anything, really. Bridges has a better three-point shot. I think Bridges is a worse uh, penetrator than Butler is, but I think he plays better defense than Butler does. So there's you know, differences between the two. But essentially, how I feel about Mikael Bridges is that over time, Brooklyn can build something around this kid because we haven't really seen what he's going to be when he's the number one option. And he's going to have to be that number one option on this team because you don't trust Dimwitty to be the guy. Now, can he give you 20-plus points a game? Yes. It's very similar to Julius Randle in that way, I might add, where Randle will only give you so much. You need some help there. I think Bridges is the guy for Brooklyn, whereas Dimwitty is going to be helping him out. It's kind of like the Brunson-Randle thing. The key difference is I would equate Mikael Bridges to what Randall is for the Knicks and that he is their poster child at the moment. Dorian Finney-Smith as well is going to have to be a big part of whatever the Nets are trying to do this year against the Sixers. He has not been good so far. There's times where he just looks afraid to shoot the ball and for the life of me I can't figure out why because on paper this is supposed to be one of the best 3 and D players in the NBA. He could be one of the best 3 and D players in the NBA if he just lets himself kind of Except, you know what, you're probably only going to make one out of five, one out of four three-point shots that you attempt. He seems very, he's scared. That's how I look at Dorian Finney-Smith. He doesn't look like a confident guy out there when he's shooting the rock. And there's other players in the Nets that are kind of like that. I think Claxton, too, is going to have to have a good series against Embiid. Now, you don't ask for perfection. You're not going to get perfection in that type of matchup. But Philly has never showed me over this past, whatever it has been, as you said, five, seven-year run, that they're a championship-level team. Harden is notorious for kind of disappearing when it begins to matter most, and I'm interested to see how Mikhail Bridges fares. Not saying that it's going to be a Nets five-game gentleman sweep and that they'll go to the second round. What I am saying is that Brooklyn can push this thing to six games, and if you just so happen to get it to seven, all it takes is one big breakout performance from someone. Could be anyone. Could be Bridges, could be Joe Harris... Could be Dorian Finney-Smith. You never know. Also important to the Brooklyn cause. Ben Simmons is gone. You don't got to play him. You don't got to think about him. He's out of your hair. We don't know what is going on with Ben Simmons. No one has known what's going on with Ben Simmons, by the way. We've been trying to figure this drama out for the last three years. It was like this in Philadelphia. It's like this in Brooklyn now. There's no more Kyrie. There's no more KD. There's no distractions. And you got a head coach who knows what he's doing. So I'm not ready to write off the Brooklyn Nets yet on a first-round win, potentially. They're not a championship team by any stretch of the imagination. But don't think for one minute there is not a plan down at Barclays Center right now to build something going forward.
0: I have three lines, Colin. You've heard them. They come up every single time playoff basketball comes up. Number one, the court shrinks. Number two, the game slows down. Number three, Every possession matters. If you break down why I say those things, it comes down to if you're a dude, if you're a guy, if you're that girl like Kaylin Clark at the tournament playoff level, you can handle the rock. You can shoot the rock. You can pass the rock. I don't mean to sound like ball don't stop here, but listen, these things are important. Do you have counters? Can you go off the dribble? Do you have a jab step? A double jab step? Can you go left? Can you finish left at the rim? Can you go? Can you shoot your jumper moving left? Can you shoot your jumper moving right? Right. One dribble pull up. Two dribble pull up. This stuff is intense and layered and deep. It's like having mastery of several pitches. It, you know, it's like um, knowing h- how to release off the line of scrimmage in, in several different ways. You, these are the ways in which the game is won at its highest level. And to me, in my opinion, Mikal Bridges, when he's zeroed in on as a number one option in a playoff setting, other teams are going to look at that team. They're going to say, yeah, we'll let Yuta, Watanabe, these, these different guys beat us over Mikal, sure. So they're going to shut Mikal out. Does he have the playmaking vision in a playoff setting to find these shooters open? not find them when they're open because they won't be open. I mean pass them open. <laughs> pass to them and create the shot.
2: Well, I think the big thing with Bridges is he can kind of find these little creases in the defense and that's an ability that we're only really seeing since he's got to Brooklyn. I mean, in Phoenix he was more of that 3 and D type of guy. He's getting
0: to game in the mid-range more right. for sure, but my thing is so you want him to be he, Say he's as good as Chris Middleton. Would you bet on a team in the playoffs with Chris Middleton as its number one option? To win a series? Yeah, absolutely. A healthy Chris Middleton? As
2: their number clear best player. I don't see why not, because like I said, I see Bridges as developing into something like Jimmy Butler. He's not going to be a upper echelon talent. The expectation shouldn't be for him to be that. The way I see Mikhail Bridges is when he has enough stuff going right around him. The team can win. I think that's a lot of what the middle of the NBA is about right now. It's never going to be that you have a perfect roster. It's far and few in between, is what I'm saying. I don't know if the playmaking is perfect. What I do know is there is enough around in Brooklyn for them to make a run.
0: Cameron Johnson. I think I think the argument is the opposite, and this is a really good argument for us to to talk about over the summer, frankly, because Brooklyn's going to have to build a team, right? right? But if you ask me. Right, we don't we don't have to talk about Luca and LeBron and Giannis and these these different guys. But let's talk about who could be the best player on a team that wins a playoff series. Well, we know Devin Booker can do it. Donovan Mitchell, yes, right. But Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton, Mikhail Bridges. These are
1: Bra- I would say Brown. These yes. are amazing.
0: These are near perfect compliments. Absolutely. These guys are the finest jelly out there. But that sandwich does not (laughs) fill you for hours without some crunchy peanut butter. And you need, you need an Embiid, a Kawhi, a Booker, a Butler, even an AD. Oh, so you're you're
2: putting Butler in the Kawhi? Yeah. Ca- oh, I don't know if I could do Butler
0: that. is what and if, if, Ooh, in if if you're if game seven's today, Butler's one of the top five players in the league, I'd want Oh, him I
2: agree. Team. I think he's a clutch player, but I don't know if I would put him in that category. Because he's, if you he's remember, he's a number the bu- one. If remember, you remember that, that Bubble Miami run,
0: team that was one one missed three pointer away from Jimmy from beating the Celtics and going to the finals. He had some clunkers in the bubble. Last season. Last I'm to- season. I'm talking about a couple years ago. I'm talking about right they now. They don't get well <laughs> even last year, they're not getting there without other guys stepping up. Role players. For sure. They got Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, they got Kyle Lowry eating up twenty five million dollars a year oh, to be well. a bench level point guard. Bam Adebayo can't create with the ball in his hands. Jimmy I Butler heard. is the the straw that stirs the drink. And, and the, Bridges and is the be electric that. mixer he sees the game at a two steps ahead of everyone else.
2: I think both things can be true, where you don't put Jimmy in that upper echelon, but you still acknowledge he is the guy. Like I would never dispute that. What I'm saying is that him and Bridges are gonna be about even keel when all is said and done. That's the the
0: auto qualifier for me. Is if you've been the guy on a team in the Eastern Conference Finals, in the bubble year, in the finals, um almost in the finals, but definitely in the Eastern Conference. If you've been that guy two years, two times in three years, you're one of those upper echelon guys. To me, Luka Doncic, spotlights on him. Can he play off the ball? But you know, like that—that's a big debate. I do think that this conversation about the Nets is fantastic because they've got to build a team. Danny, anything?
1: I got, I, yeah, I got I got a hot take, and this this may anger uh, Colin. So, Mikkel Bridges coming over from Phoenix this year jumped from seventeen point two to sixteen point eight points back in 2016-2017... Victor Oladipo averaged 15.9 points for the Thunder, goes to Indiana, averages 23.1. I see so many parallels between these two type of players. Gets gets points offensively for sure, plays great defense, but when they're the guy on a team, when they're the only ones that have that ability, um, I think that's where we start to see it. I agree with Chris completely. I think Mikkel Bridges is a great second option on a championship winning team. See, I think I'm banking on the development. I don't development. Even think
2: he's there yet. I'm banking on uh, development. I but think he it's different NXT. than Oladipo. Yeah, I've but seen the mid range like, stuff. It's good.
0: And that's what runs it's the play. Now, we got to, we got to, now, you know, we took the train down. Got, got to take a whole jet <laughs> this time. But I think Wings and their mid range game is a really great conversation when we talk about this team and their chances. To compete on the Western Conference side of the playoffs. The Sacramento Kings, the story of the NBA this season, sit in not eighth, not tenth. No, they're not in the play in. They're not at the front of the play in in seventh. They're not definitely qualifying for the playoffs in fifth. They sit in third place in the Western Conference at 46 and 30, a 60, almost 61% winning percentage for Mike. Brown, who is my coach of the year this season, because of the level of intricacy in his offensive sets and schemes, and the clear uh, uh, to me, it's blatant from every set the Kings run how well he knows his players because he tailor made these sets to these guys' advantages in the league, their skill sets, and it is such a gorgeous team to watch play basketball there's a smile on my face when i watch the beam get lit i'm not a beam team whatever you got to be called (laughs) whatever it is um i know uh you know nba guys nationally and and people like doris berg heading over to sacramento to cover games now In what seems like the first time in a while I, i think it's amazing they're 30 and 16 in the western conference they're 23 and 14 on the road. This is a team that can take their show on the road. I'm buying them in the first round of the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors would be their opponent right now. I think that's a series they can win. Danny, kind of have to start with you here. Playoff drought has ended, but of course with uh, accomplishments, they're always followed by something a little difficult, which is future expectations and now, with so much hype behind these Sacramento Kings, how do you see them living up to it in the first round or potentially further in the NBA playoffs?
1: Well, I want to talk a, a little bit about how crazy this is. Since I was, This is the first time the Kings are in the playoffs since I was 5 years old. 22 now, 16-year playoff drought. Absolutely crazy. The iPhone didn't exist yet. Twitter or Instagram didn't exist yet. Could you imagine a world without Twitter for you, Chris? That was the last time the Kings were in the playoffs. So this is... Um, absolutely surreal. But talking about this team, they, they're just so balanced. I think everything works, everything fits with each other. Um, and the Kings have had some awful, awful draft picks. And I remember specifically talking with Chris and being so mad that the Kings did not pick Jaden Ivey. But then you get Keegan Murray, and he already looks like um, a great NBA player, averaging 12 points per game. Uh, Set the rookie three-point all-time makes record. He's such a great complement to that pick-and-roll game of Sabonis and Fox. And then you add in a defensive-minded guard like Davion Mitchell, and then two great shooting wings in Kevin Herter and Malik Monk. And then you also got um, Harrison Barnes averaging 15 a game. This team just fits so well with each other. Everything that they do... Works perfectly and Fox and Sabonis. I, I personally believe it's time to start talking about them as legit superstars in the NBA. Fox is averaging 20 or 25.2 and six assists, Sabonis 19 points, 12 rebounds, leading the NBA in rebounds, and seven assists a game. This team gives me so much hope because they're all still so young. Sabonis is only 26, Fox 25. Murray, 22, Mitchell, 24, herder 24, and Monk, 25. I think this team is built to be good for for a little while here. It's going to be hard to convince free agents to want to come to Sacramento. Um, not a big market, especially in California when you got teams like the uh, Warriors out in San Francisco and then the Clippers and the Lakers in L.A. But if they can keep this core together – and maybe hit on a draft pick that winds up being another good uh, wing 3 and D type of player, this team is going to be good for a long time. And, you know, talking about this playoff, going against the Golden State Warriors, the reigning NBA champions, I struggle to say that they can beat them um, because I'm a little realistic as a fan, but it gives me so much hope for the future.
2: You know what the number is that sticks out to me with these Kings? It's a strange one. The turnover percentage they have is ninth in the NBA. So they're very good at limiting turnovers. Not perfect, but good enough to become a threat to a team like Golden State. They're really efficient with their sets. The other number, first in offensive rating. When the game slows down, you want a team that can be very, very efficient. And I think Sacramento has the guys that can do that. Between Sabonis, even a guy like Harrison Barnes, who quite frankly has been around the block. I would want him on my playoff roster. I don't know though if this is a finals bound team. I don't know if it's that type of club. I don't even know about the first earnings of Warriors. What I do know is this is a fantastic accomplishment for the Sacramento Kings. It has been a long time coming. 46 and 30 at the moment, third in the West as Chris mentioned top of the segment, just beat Portland 120 to 80. Like there was a time when points. there was a time when those type of games would be what? like an 89-77 slugfest that didn't have any sort of notoriety to it. I just think that this might not be their year because certain guys are still growing into themselves. Someone like Malik Monk, Keegan Murray, even Sabonis, I think still has some room to grow. Where I'm fascinated to see where he will go as the league continues to develop because I don't think he's reached his full potential. I think he's getting there. Like, we're starting to see what Sabonis could be, but we're not there yet. I think, as well, the Warriors are not done. That's been the narrative this year is that they're toast, you know, the bad road record really all year has kind of created this narrative that Curry and company, the Splash Bros, Draymond, there's problems, but I I don't see them collapsing out of thin air. I do think that Sacramento can push it to a five or six game series if for some reason there's a game seven, which I would... I don't know if I'd hedge my bets on a Game 7 happening between those two. I I see it as a six-game series. But if you get to Game 7 in Sacramento, anything's possible. Because that's a fan base that has been starving for some amount of success. I mean, to use another comparison, it reminds me of when the Mets made the playoffs in 2015 here in New York. That was just a fan base that was ready to explode. I could see Sacramento being in a very similar position. With that being said, I would take the Warriors to win a series, but not by much. It's going to be close, make no mistake. I buy this
0: Kings team. Just said it earlier. Court shrinks. They got shooters. Space it out. Game slows down. They play with pace. Speed it up. Every possession matters. They limit their turnovers, as Colin highlighted. Make the most out of their possessions. This is a team built for winning basketball games, especially in a playoff environment. Credit to Mike Brown. Again, my coach of the year, um, because he has built this from the ground up in one year this was you know obviously he started developing this when he was hired he has his own systems for years now but he didn't know exactly who he'd be coaching right he just knew the kind of players he wanted to get and whatever they traded a first round pick for Kevin Herter and a lot of people were like oh look at Atlanta watch out they're gonna get someone for Trey Young it's gonna be super spooky and uh it's gonna it's gonna be scary guys because uh they uh they got the pick for Herter and, and now they'll get a better player well You know, If I had a first-round pick, I would hope it turns into a player (laughs) as good as Kevin Herter. That's a good outcome for any pick, seventh pick or on. Any pick, seventh pick in the draft or on becomes Kevin Herter, you nailed that pick. And so, in my opinion, the Kings deserve every bit of this, especially because, and Danny will vouch for me on this, because of how bad I thought they won the Tyrese Halliburton trade. I had a class with Danny that semester. We got into class, and he was distraught. And I said, Danny, I understand. I understand. This is the the shiniest young gem your team has had in maybe decades that you thought. But guess what? De'Aaron Fox is better today. And you got a two-time All-Star that's 25 years old in a salary dump of your bad contract without giving up any draft picks because – you took Tyrese Halliburton, who is going to be a better player in the future than he is today, but who potentially was at his highest value as an asset in the trade market that he'll ever be, at that point in time, and you turned him into a guaranteed All-Star caliber player that perfectly fit with De'Aaron Fox. Now look what you've got. You got a third-place team, and that is why you trust the process. You keep the faith, um, and you don't, you know, like. Take back your own evaluations. I got killed on Twitter for saying it was a win-win at worst, but it was a win for Sacramento. So while now I'm all
2: for trusting the process and being eternal optimists here on Pick and Pod, Chris, are we really going to take Sacramento over the defending,
0: champs? The defending I, champs? I know
2: Danny is hesitant to do so, and I understand that
0: completely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Point. the defending champs would take the defending champs over Sacramento. So that locker room has been fractured ever since that punch landed on Jordan Poole's cheek.
2: I'm a believer, though, that dynasties figure it out. I think eventually, and we're getting close
0: to that time towards the end of the year, they will figure something out. The Golden State Warriors. Remember when I said the Kings can take their show on the road? The Nuggets, 19 and 18 on the road. The Grizzlies, 15 and 22. The Suns, 16 and 23. The Clippers, 20 and 18. Good for them. The Pelicans, 15 and 25. Okay. The Kings are 23 and 14 on the road. The Warriors are 9 and 29. Now, you go look up a video of the G1C. You go look up a video of the Golden 1 Center this season. Go find the video of the reaction to the Herder game-winning right. three. Go find a video of the reaction to clinching a playoff spot. Tell me that a team that is 9 and 29 on well, the that, road this year is going to come and take their show on the road into that well, house. Well, that's why I quali- that's why I qualified it by it.
2: saying I don't want To have to see a game seven if I'm Golden State there because I think the environment would. I don't want to see game one and two. If you get to, but if it's a six game series, if Golden State can steal one in Sacramento, my feeling would be they'll win the series because I just. When you're dealing with it's champions, fair. it's a different type of mentality going forward. Also, I think Clay still has a couple tricks up his sleeve.
0: I think Clay's I still talk think... does not reflect his play at this Oh, stage no, it
2: does not. But I'm just career. saying, in the NBA playoffs, there's always the potential to have a performance that turns some heads. Clay could be due for one of those times. Jordan Poole as well, I look at, as a prime candidate because, as you said, that locker room has been really dealing with a lot this entire year. If anyone's going to come out and play with a chip on their shoulder, it's going to be Jordan Poole. And even Draymond. You need someone like Draymond on your team to beat a team like Sacramento because they're the young upstart team, the feel-good story. The Warriors have to play a little bit of the villain here. Draymond is going to get in their head. Whether or not the Kings are going to accept that that's where the game's going to go, Draymond will take it to that place. And if he does...
0: I would have to bet on the Dubs in that situation. You have to bet on Sabonis having the toughness to take on that matchup. And I will say, him and Julius Randle, I don't know if you've noticed this, Danny, Sabonis and Julius Randle really seem to despise each other. (laughs) Um, Over the last couple years, whenever the Knicks play the Kings, I swear those two combine for 80 points every time. (laughs) They are trying so hard (laughs) to leave with the better stat line and with the win, they have a battle of, hey, I'm the skill more stationary um passing version of you Julius goes well I'm the faster better shooting version of you I bomb from deep and they kind of have these battles every time and I've been impressed by Sabonis's mental fortitude in those kind of kerfuffles (laughs) across games between the Knicks and Kings so I'll put faith in him now speaking of mental fortitude speaking of being a leader I gotta reference this recent Celtics-Bucks game as a soapbox for my final question for you guys. It's a simple question, but first, let's set the table. The Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks met up to play a little game of basketball. Boston walked away with a 140-99 to victory over Milwaukee. That is ludicrous. Now, just the other game, Drew Holiday, 50 points. Giannis, 36-18. and It seemed like all was well and... Nothing could be better in Bucks' world. Well, this was quite the statement loss for Milwaukee, who allowed 140 points to Boston in a game where they couldn't crack 100 themselves. Chris Middleton left the game after taking an elbow from Jalen Brown. Is Boston finals bound again?
2: I'm going to say... I'm still gonna say no. I've gone back and forth on it all year. We we've talked about this offline, Chris. I just don't know if they're gonna be able to get past Milwaukee four to seven times in a potential series. Now this game is very encouraging because it was on the road. If this happened at TD Garden at home, I would not have been as impressed as I am right now about the fact that it happened in Pfizer Forum Arena, that they were able to do this to a team that had Giannis. Had Middleton, there was none of this, oh, well, they're missing a guy or two or a piece here and there. The fact that it happened on the road is very impressive. The 40-point piece from Tatum and the way he got it was something you love to see. 8 out of 10 from downtown, 8 rebounds. The part I don't like about that, and I know this is really nitpicky, but I'm going to do it anyway, because if anyone deserves to nitpick about this, it is me at this point. That's why we're here. One assist only in that game. Now, when you're scoring 40 points, I'm not really concerned about the assist numbers, but going forward... That's an aspect of Tatum's game that is going to need to grow. Now, it has this year, but in a seven-game series, you got to spread the rock around. There's no way you're going to get a 40-point piece each and every win that you get against a team like the Milwaukee Bucks. Same deal for Jalen Brown, who I thought had probably the best holistic game in my estimation. 30 points, five boards, five assists. All around, I thought he had kind of what I'm looking for from him in that second-fiddle nature. Marcus smart, a little disappointing, only 10 points, but the defense was there, 8 assists for him. So, I mean, that's kind of what he is for them at this point. I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop Giannis when push comes to shove because he's the type of guy that elevates what he's able to do on the court when the playoffs come. Only 24 points in this one. That number is bound to shoot up. Seven boards in this one, again, that number is bound to shoot up. I wouldn't even be surprised no, if well, the assist number shoot well, up Well,
0: he, him. you know, they... They didn't need to play the end of that game, very seriously.
2: And Chris Middleton had a horrible outing, but I'm still a Chris Middleton apologist. I believe he'll have a good playoff run this year. I think he can make the difference against a team like the Celtics because of what he offers you on the perimeter. He can create his own shot, good three-point shooter. Defensively, given his injury history, I have my questions, and I think that's something the Celtics can exploit. But as of today, I am closer to saying the Celtics are finals-bound but given what I do know about this team, given what I know about Celtics history, I- I'm not there yet. Not by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, uh, to add in another, another team. The Philadelphia 76ers are approaching that deadline with the players that they have where James Harden's 33. Joel Embiid is going to be on the wrong side of 30 going into next year. They're starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, guys, it's now or never. And I think they have a relatively easy path, easier path to the finals, um, especially if Boston has to go up against Miami in that first round. Miami's a very good basketball team, and you talk about Jimmy Butler. He's going to get into Tatum's head, um, and Philly's got to play Brooklyn, and I think that would, could be a four-game sweep. Um, for Philly, and then Boston-Miami, I could very easily see that going six-plus games, maybe get that game seven, and then you got a rested Philly team going against a Boston Celtics team that just played an absolute dogfight. Um, So I'm going to throw Philly's name in there too, um, but the one thing I'll say, it's really hard for me to bet against Giannis. Giannis is the best basketball player in the NBA. Even if he's not the MVP this year, he's the best basketball player in the NBA. And when the lights come on, the stars come out, and Giannis is the biggest star of them all. I completely
2: agree, and I just think for as good as Tatum has been this year, I don't know if he's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with Giannis in the same way that he did last year because they got lucky. They got lucky at points in that series last year. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, Game 5 of that series was a major – of luck for Celt for the Celtics it was either game five or game six that they had won to then force that game seven but I, I don't know about Philly I'm like this about them because I haven't yeah. seen it yet I think that's maybe a little bit of anchor bias where the first thing I've seen about them is what I'm basing my opinion off of because they haven't been in the playoffs since the Simmons faults debacle with Embiid as well and now with Harden there it's still not anything too spectacular Miami is interesting because their shooting has been terrible this year but it's Eric Spolster, and it's Jimmy Butler, and Bam's good inside. Can't create his own shot, but you can get you some cheap points here and there. And they, They're an interesting matchup.
1: They got Kyle Kyle Lowry's a great point guard, uh, Kevin Love, Victor Oladipo. It, this team just, uh, they got a lot of names. They got a lot of former really good players. And some players. aging names, too, some aging which is names. important. However, I think you get that veteran presence in the playoffs, guys that have been there before. Kevin Love's a champion. Kyle Lowry's a champion. That's a scary team, especially in a first-round matchup.
2: Yeah, I think the Eastern Conference is clearly more dangerous than the West this year, which after the trade deadline, there was a lot of people saying that the West now is far more eloquent and they have more to offer. I mean, Rui going to Lakers, Durant going to Phoenix, Kyrie going to Mavs at the time was considered a good move. That now has aged poorly, that (laughs) take, but... I still believe the East is the grittier, tougher conference and the one that will probably have a champion this year because if the Kings, the Warriors, even a team like Phoenix gets to the finals, I I would be more apt to take Milwaukee or Boston over one of those teams.
1: Phoenix, man.
2: They're dangerous, but I don't know if Durant can stay healthy. This has been the knock on him for the past couple of years. It's been commitment and health. Now, when he's on the court... I've said he's the best player on the planet when he's healthy and on the court. The problem is there's been stretches where you see that and then there's stretches where he gets hurt and he's just not around. Also with that, Devin Booker is not great defensively. So added Durant, who's fragile at this point in his career. That's not a knock on KD. It's just where he's at right now. With a guy who's not a defensively great player, if you happen to have a poor shooting day, team's going to exploit that. And Chris Paul last year was not great when they needed him against Dallas. So I don't know what that looks like for Phoenix in a potential final series against an Eastern Conference, whoever it may be, that's going to have a deep roster, whoever comes out of that conference.
0: I'm trying to have a decisive take on this conversation, (laughs) and I'm stumped. I'm so stumped on Phoenix because at the end of the day, it's about betting on talent.
1: Phoenix has the most talent in the NBA.
0: But, oh, my God, is it uncertain of whether or not <laughs> they'll be able to put it together. Chris Paul, um, are we getting to the point where we start – are we at the point where he's a John Wall, Russell Westbrook type of contract where he's just not this guy anymore? Uh, you know, No. We, we no thought we were there a couple his... years back. He was traded for Westbrook in a salary dump, right? And he ended up reviving his career. He went vegan. He did knee therapy in Germany like P.J. Tucker. He's done all sorts of things to revive his career and play for longer. Now we're getting to the point where he is the ripe age of 37, turning 38 in a May. On May 6th, he turns uh, he turns 38. So we might be getting father time might be catching up to him. You know, small guards their knees take a lot of hits. You've seen guys like Kemba Walker, Derrick Rose at the end of their careers. Even Rose, who revitalized his career after the early injuries, now can't get the same lift. He, He his mid range jumpers come short because they can't get the same lift pulling up, uh, even from close range. So we will see how that goes for me in the East. Y- you've got to still respect Milwaukee, in my opinion. I'm with Colin on still having them coming out. Um, I will say my case has more, much more to do with Drew Holiday than it does Chris Middleton, but I, I think the fact that he's capable of putting 50 up one night, capable of giving you 18 assists another night, um, not sure if he's done that this season. I just know he can. So Sorry if that, you know, sp- spread a, a fake stat. But um, like he's also a kind of guy that can get you five steals or get you zero because they didn't even bother passing to him. Like on, you know, I, I say like a Revis Island situation, and, and but in basketball, try to relate that to you know Jaron Jackson Jr. last week as well. Um, this is going to be interesting to see how the Eastern Conference playoffs play out, especially when you have two MVP heavyweights in Embiid and Antetokounmpo at teams at the top of the conference. And you got Jokic out West as well. Doncic, some people had him as a candidate, but Mavericks' recent woes and their current record of 37 and 40 has turned people off from that case. I think we have a really interesting MVP race shaping up ahead of us to end this season, but... Speaking of endings, this will wrap up our show here today. Danny Scott, Colin and thank you guys so much for joining me here in our fantastic studios at WFUV. Will Talent behind the boards taking care of things from the back of the studio. And I'm here saying goodbye to our wonderful and lovely listeners, thanking them for tuning in, advising them, requesting of them to keep joining us on Pick and Pod and follow our WFUV Sports social channels on all platforms.